Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. I have a message for you today, and I've titled it simply, What to Do About Christ. Today is Easter, the most significant date in the Christian calendar, the day that we celebrate Christ risen. And what do you do about Christ? Typically, our Easter's are very positive and fun, and it is positive and fun. But I have a challenging message for you today, okay? I'm going to take you on a journey so that we can think and so that we can explore. And I might push on you a little bit today, all right? So don't feel uncomfortable. And if this is your first time here, you might feel uncomfortable. It's okay. Come back, all right? We are nice. We're good. <laughs> I'm setting your expectations way high so that when we at the end of the service, it's like, oh, that was not bad at all. That was great. <laughs> if, you're, if this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here. Have you given good thought lately about what to do? What do you do about Christ? You know, we all have our ways of life. We all have our ideas and thoughts and, and how our theories and, and but I'm, but question is, what do you actually do? Right? Because unless you do something about it, it's, the point is moot. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Now, I don't mean like how do you theorize about God and Christianity and spirituality. I mean like what you actually do. Is Christian a badge that you wear? Is, is, is Christian thoughts you explore? Is an ideology that you espouse? Or is it something more? I've been, uh, I've been spending some time reading uh, recently uh, from Christians from uh, early in, in the first few centuries, before the Bible became the Bible, right? before it became the leather-bound book that we now uh, hold and know. And because so much of our gospel experience has transitioned to the written words in this way that we carry, right? And since uh, the advent of the printing press, we've been strongly moving toward a personal time with God. And that's not bad. Having a personal time with God is great. Scripture tells us that Jesus actually had many, many moments when he retreated to privately pray, retreated to connect with the Father in a personal way. So that's not bad. But in the past couple generations specifically, since the, the printing press and, and it, this has been happening, but in the past couple generations specifically, we've arrived at this, this strange place where the Christian walk... The Christian life has become confined to a personal and very private box. Not supposed to talk about it. Our cultural norms now insist that religion, your faith, and your belief in God are absolutely a private matter. This is the deepest and most informing part of you. This is the part of you that, that touches the deepest uh, thing that, that informs your identity, and yet you're supposed to, be keep, to, to keep it secret. It's taboo to talk about. It used to be just a couple generations ago that religious practice, piety, was seen as virtue. But now it's really frowned upon, and in some circles it's a strange thing. What you're doing today is strange to a lot of people. 
And so the highest pursuit of most people is no longer virtue. If you talk to a high schooler or a middle schooler and you ask, what do you, what do you want out of life? If you, it's going to be rare for you to find somebody who will answer truth. Truth. Now, what we want out of life is a pursuit, we, we, what we call happiness. But what we call happiness, we pursue by the way of fame, popularity, pleasure, comfort, personal gain, material wealth, things that bring us status, know-how, things that are fleeting. And I think that that is the thing that strikes me as strange. And I, it probably should strike you, as strike you as strange too, that we have replaced the intangible, the higher things, with the tangible, the lower things. We have replaced the immaterial with material. And even today, on the most significant day of the Christian calendar, these two things kind of shape the way you pursue God, shape the reason why we go to places like this. And all across the country, people are gathering in churches to celebrate the risen Savior. But this mentality has kind of ingrained in our, in our pursuit. First is this, that this life, what we're doing, is supposed to be highly personal and private. So much so that I can presume... That tomorrow, when you go back to your lives, when you go back to work, when people ask you, how was Easter? If they ask you at all. You're going to say something like, oh, it was great. We went to church and, and they had an event and the kids, the kids were, were, did an egg hunt and there was a funny guy dressed as a, as a, as a bunny. And, and then we had lunch. And it was delicious. I hope you have delicious lunch today. And, you know, it was a beautiful day, and we spent some time outside. Hopefully it'll be warm enough. But because of the norms, your belief in a risen Savior, your passion for worship, what you just did in, in worship, will likely be a footnote, if at all, because religion... Spirituality, God, has been almost forced to this place of privacy. And I can't stress enough to you how much of a transformation sociologically in our society that has been that we have lost our spiritual language. We have lost our spiritual language. Many people think in areas of the world like ours, where they think to be more sophisticated and, and acclimated to the higher things, that we have moved on from God, right? That we have moved on from religion. We have moved on. We have graduated. But it's really the opposite. We have digressed. We have regressed. And the thought and the idea that, that life with God is superfluous, that life with God is easily dispensed that it is unnecessary can be seen on all these things in our culture and society that are that are taking the place of God they're they're being elevated to a level that they're not supposed to be elevated they're they're become things that are not supposed to be metaphysical and spiritual are gaining that value and we're finding our identity and, and, and we're finding our value in things that were never supposed to carry that weight 
We have lost our spiritual language. So many people don't even know how to talk about God these days. You bring the com- up the conversation, they have no notion, no idea. It's awkward. Have you ever tried? It's awkward. They don't have the vocabulary. We have lost it. Just like the ancients knew how to build pyramids, and now we've lost the technology, we have lost our spiritual language. That's the first thing. The second challenge that we face in rooms like this across the country is that people are coming to church with this mindset that is informed by our culture that that the highest pursuit of your life should be complete and total happiness. Now, happiness is not bad. Of course, it's good. But we want the elixir. We want the euphoria. We want the high. Perhaps because life is tough. Perhaps because the road has been long. Perhaps because fear and anxiety are truly crippling and real. Or maybe because financial need is daily and constant and present. And so we need, we need relief. Because the need is real. And we assume in our pursuit that the solution is what we've been constantly told. That the solution for our need, it's the prescription is the world's version of happiness. I need popularity because if I become popular in my field, that means I get customers. That means I'll find some security. I need, I need pleasure because... I, suffering is too hard, and I don't want suffering in my life. I want life to be pleasurable. I need comfort. I need wealth. I need personal gain. And don't get me wrong, those things enhance life. But we are told that that's what we should do. And because we come to God with that prescribed solution, we already come with the answer. We pray and we ask God for the solution. And so we pray and we ask, and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And then there's a third thing that's higher than those. That really is what has brought us here together. Because there's something common about all of us here. This is a magnificent room. I wish every single one of you could stand right here and look at you because you are beautiful. You're awesome. This, we have so many different kinds of stories in this room. Some of them I know and many of them I don't know. But I know you have a story that's rich. I know that you have a context in your life that is amazing and it's different from every single, every other person in the room. And there are many of you here who you, you will talk to each other, you will meet each other, or maybe you know each other and you would have never had a relationship in any other circle because you, you run in different circles. Your life is about different things. But somehow because of church, you get to connect and you get to know each other and you get to meet. And that's a beautiful thing because we have men and women, single, married, young, experienced. Never going to call you old. Different races, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different stories. But all of us are here for, because of a singular thing. At some point in our lives, every single one of us, we realize something. There's something broken about humanity. And maybe you realize that about you. Maybe you realize that about your context. But there's something broken. Something needs fixing. 
There's something about us that is lacking. And those things that we pursue, that we're told that make for happiness, we know that this something is deeper, that those things cannot fix it. The, 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 the thing that we seek is greater. And that's why you're here today. But the beauty of today, the beauty of Easter is that along our story, along the story of humanity, along our suffering, alongside our brokenness and alongside our disillusion, comes Jesus Christ. Presenting a new way of life. Presenting a new way to connect to one another and to God. He called it a new kingdom. A new government. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, were fulfilled. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child was born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so Christ has come. Bringing us those things. Bringing us not only an idea, but an opportunity to participate. To take part in his everlasting life. He came to show us the way. And in the process, he was praised and he was vilified. In the process, he was worshipped and he was ridiculed. In the process, he was honored. He was persecuted until his ministry reached its peak. And when he reached its peak, in the same week, he was praised as the king and he was crucified as a criminal. And he was placed on that cross. And for 2,000 years, the story that has been told, the story that, that we have heard and that we have told is that even though he was killed, even though he suffered, even though he had nails pierced on his hand and feet, even though there was a, a spear that punctured his side all the way to his heart, even though he bled out from his lacerations and, and and, and from his bruises, so much that scholars believe that he, he bled most of his blood, if not all of it. And he died. And he was buried in that afternoon. The story that is told for 2,000 years that on Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, he rose again to life. And in doing so, he conquered death, he conquered sin, and he made a way for us to connect to God. He solved the issue. He solved our brokenness. And he gave us freedom from death and sin. Jesus fixed the problem. You know that realization that we all have, that there's something broken? He solved that. And so we're here. Seeking this greater thing, but I feel like for some of us there's a disconnect. Because how do, we, how do we actually do it? Do we know how to do it? Do we know how to connect to God? Because, see, we were told these two things, right? That, that your faith is supposed to be private. That your, your search for God is supposed to be private. That you've got to keep it to yourself. And then we say that unless it makes you happy all the time, that's not it. We're told that spirituality 
is about ourselves. It's about our mental health and our wellness. And, and you're supposed to be happy, happy and healthy and whole. And, and that's part of it. But you can come to a place like this seeking those things. Because we all have questions. And many of us, we ask these questions. And I believe they're two of the deepest questions that we ask. And that might be why you're here today. The first question is, what do I do about my life? What do I actually do about my life? Not just career, not just direction, maybe career and direction, but what about my existence? What am I here for? And the second question is, how do I solve these problems that I'm facing? How do I find the solution for these problems that some of you, you have problems that are beyond your control, beyond your ability. They're physical, they're metaphysical, they're they're problems that, that you need help solving. And so we come to a place like this because we need answers for those questions. We need a solution to our personal problems. Because Christianity is personal. But what, what if the Christian life is more than problem solving? Have you thought about that? For many of us, our relationship with God has become this glorified problem-solving mechanism. We go to God when we need to solve a problem. And that's not bad, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, let's, let me give you an example. Because we have different tolerance of, for things, right? That, that we can face certain things that we're like, oh, I don't even need to pray for that. I got it. It's okay. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're like, it's fine. But there are certain issues that we face that we're like, oh, I need to engage my spiritual life here. I need to talk to God about this because this, this, is, this is beyond my ability to handle. So let's say, let's say you're, you're in sales, right? I don't know if any of you are in sales here, but let's say you're in sales. And, and let's say for you to be profitable, for you to be able to be at peace, you need about, about 10 clients, right? You got a book of 10 clients and you're in sales and you're happy. And, and, and so this is, this is how many times our threshold works, right? You lose a client and you're like, it's okay. I just, I can get another client. I'm in sales. I can get another client, right? And then, and then let's say you lose two clients. Like, ooh, that's 20% of my, my revenue, my booking, my relationships. That affects me, but it's all right. So you say a prayer. You go like, oh, my Lord, I need your help here, right? Now, let's say you lose three clients in like two days. You don't know what's coming. You don't know how many of them are going to walk out on you. Man, you're praying morning, noon, and night. You're like, Lord, I don't do anything. Help me. Because the challenge is big. And so we can, we can get into this, into this mindset, right? It works in sports too, right? Championship starts, you're believing, you're hoping. Your team loses a couple games, it's okay. But during playoffs, I mean, you're like, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Please, Lord, please. But what if, what if Jesus died for more than that? What if life with Christ is about more than that? What it would look like for us, for each of us, to live like Jesus died for more than solving our problems? What if, what if the relationship is deeper? This is something that we 
know in the deepest part of us that we need. And for, for most of us, we think that this thing is a secret. Let me tell you something. It's not a secret. The thing that you're looking for, the thing that you're searching for is not a secret. In fact, it's the greatest story ever told. It's the reason why we're here today. But what happens is sometimes we, we, we have been in a, in a context that has transformed what is life-given and replaced it with dead rituals and repetition. I don't know if you've ever experienced religion that way. It, it's something that you have to do. And then and you do it, and you do your part, and you hope. You know, you pray the prayer, you say the thing, and you do the thing, and, and you hope that it happens. But sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. It's a hit or miss. And you just hope for the best. You don't really have much joy in it, but you just hope for the best. And what's happened is that in the passing of years, we've been we've calcified the, 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 the beauty of the gospel, and we've made it into something rigid. And many times, what people hear when they hear Christianity is more of a dogmatic view instead of an open relationship with God. And, and what was once meaningful can lose its meaning because of it. And I want to challenge you today to, to renew your view of Christ because this is the most pressing question. What do you do about Christ? It is the most pressing question, especially on a day like today. There was, a, there was something that happened um, the day Jesus was, uh, rose from the dead, the day Jesus was risen. In that evening, there were two men that were walking from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And Luke writes about it. He says that these two men, it's about a two-hour walk. They were walking and they were discussing the events that had just transpired on Friday, that Jesus was crucified, and they were one of Jesus' followers. They were not one of the 12 disciples, but they were part of the following of Jesus, and they, were, they knew the Scriptures. These people, they grew up in a, in, in a culture, and a context, that the Scripture was their history book and their law. So they learned the Scriptures from a very early age, and they're discussing about the prophets, and, and they're discussing about you know, life and, and, and the Torah, and they're telling each other that, man, what a disappointment that Jesus is not the Christ, that He's not the answer to our problems. Because the Christ was supposed to solve our problem. Our problem is Rome. We are under Roman rule, and the Christ is supposed to restore Israel. And Jesus came, and he died? That doesn't fit the story. That doesn't fit our solution. And so they were talking about it. And then Luke says that Jesus, along the way, we don't know how far along, but along the way, closer toward the end, Jesus joins them. And he's like, what is it that you guys are talking about? And they don't recognize him because Scripture says that their eyes were, were, were uh, they hadn't, been revealed yet that, he, that it was Jesus. And, and they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And they begin to tell Jesus that Jesus was not the Christ because he died. And they even heard that he had risen. And they had been to the tomb, the empty tomb. And now they're walking, but it doesn't fit the story. Even if he's risen, like it doesn't make sense. He was a great prophet. A great wisdom, 
And now they're telling Christ why Christ is not the Christ. And so Christ begins to explain to them what actually takes place and why. Verse 25, Jesus says on Luke 24, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had, had, have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the way to the prophets, he interpreted to them the script, all the scriptures concerning himself. And then they got to the house where they were going. They convinced Jesus to join them. And they sat down for dinner and listened to what happened. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it. And gave it to them. And then, and then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven who were there with them gathered together. There's something about this story, and, and this is paired with other scriptures in the Bible, but for the sake of time, we're going to extract from this story three things that we're supposed to do, three things that we actually do practically to, to, to live the Christian life. Because the question is, what do you do about Christ, right? And you can come here to a Sunday like this on Easter and, and experience a church but there's something that we need to engage in this life. I told you that I, I was reading from early Christians. Trying to learn how they did this before the Bible became the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the way that we've experienced life now. But there's these two things that in our culture that keep pecking at us. And that can change the way we seek God. So my question is like, how did people experience Christ before they had the leather-bound book? Right? Because there was about 400 years before the Bible was canonized and, and put together like we know. And there was a, there's one man, particularly, uh, he's from Africa. His name is Tertullian. And, and he shared, uh, there's a lot of writings from him. And uh, he shared a few significant things that agree with what Paul has written about what the Christian life is actually about. And this story also gives us a glimpse of it because I love how Jesus, how Jesus challenges the view of those two people who were discussing the Scripture. They were discussing the Scripture, but they were hopeless. They were discussing the Scripture, but they were like, man, what's the solution now? Where do we go from here? And you might be in a situation like that right now where you're like, what, what, I don't know what to do with faith. I don't know what to do with Christianity. I don't know how to engage this spiritual life. I know that I'm supposed to be at church on Easter. I know that. That's a good thing. But I don't, I don't really know how to go about it. So I want to give you three things that you can do today. The first one, the essential thing that you need is faith. Faith is one of the essential things. And Tertullian, he writes in his books, he lived at about 200 AD. He writes in his books that the Christian experience is primarily a faith experience. Now what is faith? 
Have you thought about it lately? What is faith? How? What is faith for you? Because many of us, we think of faith as an emotion. We think of faith as this feeling of maybe even belief. But faith in the scripture is above all action. It's action. It's engaging. It's living as though that is true. If you think about when Jesus commented on somebody's faith, if you read through the stories, whenever Jesus healed, whenever Jesus saw somebody uh, act on their faith, that's when he said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. Your faith uh, uh, is great. There was always an action paired with that faith. And when, when there was no action at all, what did he say? Ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? So faith is action. 2 Corinthians 5-7 says that we walk by faith. We walk by faith. Meaning faith that moves mountains, that transforms, that, that changes life is not a feeling, but it's action. And we know the classical definition of faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That means that faith is about the future. You don't have to have faith about the present, right? About what you see and can hold. You have faith about what you don't see. And let me tell you something. Everybody at some degree lives by faith. Do you know that you live by faith? Look at the person next to you. Say, you live by faith. Yeah, yeah, you live by faith. Even atheists live by faith. At some point, right, you, you, when you take your breath, you believe, you have faith that there will be oxygen for you to breathe in. When you get on a plane, you have faith that the plane is going to land at the destination. When you go to work tomorrow, you have faith that the paycheck will come, that your company, you put faith in your company that you're going to receive something. Right? When you turn on your car, you have faith that the tires will hold you. And take you to, your, to, to, to where you, you want to go. Faith is about the future. Now what the scripture tells us is that we act with our eyes fixed on what we cannot see. And we know that it's going to become a reality. How do we do that? Where do we base that in? How do we walk in healing? How do we walk in peace? How do we walk in confidence? Because if we are to walk by faith, there's got to be something of substance that informs that faith. Because if faith is unhinged, it can be weird, right? So that's the second thing that we need that is essential, and that is the Word. That is the Scripture. See, faith has to be based on the Scripture because faith needs to be connected to God. Romans 10, 17 says this, So faith comes from hear hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. See, the scripture is a testament of what God has done for, uh, what, for others. The scripture is a testament of God revealing himself to the world. It's a testament of God instructing us. A lot of people think, man, do you, do you believe in the Bible? Because you think that it, because it's in the Bible, it happens. It's actually the opposite. It's in the Bible because it happened. It's in the Bible because God did it. It's in the Bible because at some point in history, the 40 or so authors that wrote the Bible in a span of 1,500 years, and it, it, it was seen and noted that there was, inter, there was a connection between all of those events. And so it was put together because it, it, it reads like a book. It's not actually a book. It's a library. It reads like a book because it's about the same thing. 
God revealing himself to you and to me and us being able to learn about what God has done in the past. And because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, what he's done in the past, he can do it again. That's why by faith, we can connect our faith to the scriptures and say, there's peace for me so I can walk in peace. There's healing for my life. There's healing for my soul. There's healing for my spirit. And I can walk in it. And all of that was done through the cross, the cross of Calvary. And that's really the story of the scripture. And the third thing that we learn from this passage is that we need community. This faith walk, is, it, it can't be private. It has to be done in community. It has to work with others. If you notice in that story, a very particular thing that, that, that the scripture teaches us, if you pay attention to it, listen to this. I'm going to read it again. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed them and broke and gave it to them. That's community. That's Jesus gathered with all of them. What happened? And their eyes were open and they recognized him. Christ is revealed in community. Christ is revealed when, when those who believe gather together and break bread together. And so there's power in community. Your faith is not supposed to be just for yourself in your closed room, just by yourself. It's supposed to be shared. Every follower of Christ needs to properly experience the Christian life. And the way to do it is to be connected with other people who follow Christ. So you can share in your faith, so you can pray together, so you can grow together. And that's why we gather every Sunday here. And so you are invited back to be with us. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. That's connection. That's relationship. And he said, I'll give you a new commandment. A new commandment I'll give you. That you may love one another as I have loved you. That's community. It's a commandment. It's necessary. It's important. So let me encourage you not to hide. Jesus said, don't hide your light. Let it shine. Because the problem is this. If we make our faith private, it will die. And you can leave here today filled with faith because you've been with other people and you've prayed and you can claim to be Christian. But Christianity is not a title. It's how you live. It's being one with the life of Christ through community with others. That's why the Bible has this strange way that like calls us the body of Christ. That we're connected like like members. And this is, unless you're familiar with the language, it, it can sound weird. So let me encourage you with this. Right? I know you want to solve your problems. I know you have things in your heart that you want to bring to God. Do that. Come to God with your issues. Come to God with your problems. Give it to Him because He can answer your, your requests. But the most pressing question that will answer the deepest the deepest questions you have is this. What do you do about Christ? Why is it that for 2,000 years, people are doing what we're doing today? I mean, I mean, even people who are not Christians, they'll be at church on a Sunday like this, celebrating Easter. Why? Why has this story been so compelling? Why has it grasped the hearts of humanity in such a deep way? Because there's life in it. 
because for 2,000 years, people have been transformed. And the way they've been transformed is because they've activated their life in the way that I just explained to you. Very simple, three things. Faith, action. You engage with it. The scripture, that's the testament of what God has done. It informs us who he is and community connected to others, sharing with others, allowing other people to carry your burden, not to walk alone, to be connected in a community that, that can bless one another. And if you do that, if you practice that, then Resurrection Sunday is not going to be this distant thing that you celebrate once a year, but it will be the thing that defines your life. Because the new life that God will give you will breathe into your, into your lungs every single day. And it will give you hope. It will give you a new outlook. It will give you the faith to rise and, and, and press in against any challenges. And you will be able to live the life God has called you to live. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. We love you so, so much. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.